Welcome to Evidence-Based Aesthetics, where science meets clinical skincare. Today's clinicians are bombarded with sales tactics and marketing hype aimed at selling a cosmetic product, device, or service, often with little to no scientific research to back it up. Master Aesthetician Instructor Kristen Group and Dr. Larry Group use peer-reviewed research to investigate and discuss the latest trends, equipment, procedures, and products in medical aesthetics, while poking fun at extravagant claims, as well as each other. Evidence-Based Aesthetics is produced monthly and supplemented by a Facebook group and Instagram. Viewers and listeners are actively encouraged to submit questions and topics for discussion. And now your hosts, Kristen and Dr. Larry Group. Okay, we're back. Uh, we just got done talking about making sure that when you buy a machine that it has all the components you need to do the treatment you're going to do. Next thing we're going to do is talk about professional, property, and general liability insurance that's directly tied to the risk of the procedure and the value of the property. Um, you own a med spa. Um, what sort of things did you have to consider when you were looking at having your insurance agent give you a quote for uh, property general liability? And what are those things, those professional, general, and why do you need, do you need them all? Yes, you do. Okay. Um, it's unfortunate, but it's true. Uh, so your professional liability is going to be for the people doing the procedures. So like malpractice. Yes. Okay. Um, and that's rated on based on what you do. It's written what you do and also the licensure and the training of the people that you're going to be okay. um, insuring. So if you're um, running a med spa and you're going to be doing injectables and you're going to be doing laser procedures and you're going to be doing microneedle and all that, the insurance company is going to ask you what about each of the people that you have working for you and their licensure and, and then probably ask they're for certificates to, and they're going to rate you on the risk of those particular yes. procedures. Yes. Okay. Um, so then you have your property insurance which covers the devices and so if something were to get <clears throat> stolen or damaged yes and doesn't the contract usually require you or the bank requires you to have that insurance even if you didn't want if, it well the, if you're going through financing right. with the bank got it um but what's interesting is when we first did our insurance it our our person quoted us on professional in general but they didn't do a property and they're like well you need that I'm like dude i've got one hundred and fifty thousand dollars sitting on wheels Yes, I do need <laughs> yeah, that because that's the easiest thing to move out of this office yeah, so is the thing on in, wheels. In 30, our, our alarm takes, what, 60 seconds, something like that? Some 60 amount of seconds. Time. It took the cops like one time 45 minutes to get here. So basically you could have that two, two, of those, two of those lasers rolled out of here, take $400,000 in 15 seconds. Yeah. So. So your property insurance is going to cover, you know, the cost of your computers, your devices, what it would cost if you had, you know, a loss of, of property. So your lasers really need to be under that. And then you've got your general liability, which is like slip and fall. Um, so if somebody comes in and they injure themselves in your, your business, you have to have insurance for that too. Right. Um, alarm system. We haven't even put that on here, but... Uh... You probably want to consider having an alarm you system. Need to have for, a, a, and, you know, alarm system with a camera. T talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so you want an alarm system, and the way my alarm's set up, um, and one alarm system will lower your insurance rates, okay? Um, if they know that you have an alarm system that's working. So an, an alarm active system, alarm, which yes. means it's tied to the police department. <clears throat> it has to be tied to the police. Right. So, <laughs> excuse me. Um, so with the alarm system like we have here everybody every employee has their own code that's tied to them that nobody else knows what their code is so every time somebody walks into my office on disarms the alarm i know who's here and the reason that's important and the reason cameras are important is if you have somebody come in um we've got cameras throughout um, you don't have cameras in the treatment rooms not in our treatment, but no. you have in the main areas we've got in our main areas especially facing the doors in and out so if okay. you've got more than one door you need more than one camera and these cameras were inexpensive <clears throat> i remember we got them off of amazon uh, no, these ones came with the. Oh, they came with the they, alarm system. They came with yeah, the alarm system. At home, we have them from Amazon, but yeah. you can either get them with your alarm or whatever. But they're little USB cameras that hook in and, and basically record uh, motion. Yes. Um, so you've got your cameras, but the most important thing is to have your alarm set up with these different people user codes. And the reason is there's been lots of people who didn't have an alarm system, and their employees were coming in off hours or on the weekends and basically using their equipment, taking the money for the payments, and the docs didn't know. So I had a doc who um, had a laser and he couldn't figure out, he had 300,000 pulses on it, which is basically is an IPL device, which means at that point, every, all the handpieces need to be replaced because they're only rated for like 150,000 pulses. Um, and he couldn't figure it out because he was losing money on the laser. Well, his laser tech was coming in after hours and on the weekend, working on her own clients, swiping it through her own POS system, keeping the money and using his device. And even if they didn't keep the money, just did it to do it, just to give themselves the treatments, 
it's still it's misuse still of your, it's still fat, yes. misuse and, of your laser. And the interesting thing is if something had happened to any of those people because it was in his practice, yeah. he would have been sued. That's right. You've been on a case like that. Yeah. So it's like protect your stuff. Know who's coming in. And I mean, I go as far when I train docs on their medical and their devices to know how to do a shot count on your device. So you can check it to see if it's being overused or if somebody says, well, I've got $75 for an underarms, but there's 500 pulses on the device. They Where did used those it, pulses go? They do it on other things. And you know what? With your phones and like Square that you plug into your phone, it's so easy to run a credit card in your room and they could be doing it during the day where they're booking somebody for one little procedure, but they're actually doing a lot more in their room and they're doing a split tender where they're taking the majority of it and then you're getting the smaller part. That's right. So we're in the middle of our med spa madness and what we're talking about is protecting your equipment from your own, from your own from employees, your... misusing it or using it off hours. Um, one, because if someone gets hurt, you're liable for it. And two, because... They're, they're losing money. They're losing money. Um, they're putting use and wear and tear on the on, on the device. And you can easily prevent this by just having an alarm system with individual codes for each person and a couple of inexpensive cameras that come with the alarm system. It's the easiest way to do it. Or you mm -hmm. can get them, you know, other cameras. And you what you're not you're not really trying to you know you're not going to put a camera in the bathroom or anything stupid like that. But you're going to put it in the common area so you can see who's coming and going, and you can have conversations with people. That well, says, also, why are you here at midnight till two in the morning? I don't. I, I used to because mine at our old place also had um, uh, audio, so I would I would call up and go, "Hi, welcome to our med spa," and they'd like freak out because they know I'm watching. And That's it right. is, you know, and but it's also useful. I had a, an employee who told me that she showed up at 9.10, which she was supposed to be there at 9, and she actually, I'm watching my camera from the home, and she showed up at 9.30. And when I said something to her, I said, she goes, I was there at 9.10. I said, um, I actually watched you walk through the front door at 9.30. She goes, well, I was somewhere at 9.10. I said, well, you weren't in my business. <laughs> so I don't know where yeah. you were, yeah. but you so weren't here. Existential, existential conversations. So, yeah, and here's the thing is, as the spa owner, it's my responsibility to keep track of the people that are coming in and out of it, whether they're working or whether they're patients. Right. I need to know what's going on. This is not a time to bury your head in the sand. You have to figure out because theft happens. I have been stolen from. Um, and I think I did a really good job of you know, understanding all parts of my business. And I still had stuff stolen from me. I also say too, if you have a, a, a med spa that's sort of sp spread out or a large med spa, um, there's a lot of, you know, crime still happens. People come in through the back door. There's a lot of people steal people's purses. So having these cameras is helpful. It is. But also doing just basic things like, you know, keeping keeping doors shut. You can't necessarily lock doors lock doors during open business time. But um, just paying attention to the, those types of things. You know, it, it's still a business. All the things that apply to business apply to a med spa. Mm -hmm. um, We've talked about direct and indirect supervisions quite a bit, but I'm just going to reiterate one more time. When you're getting ready to buy a piece of equipment and you want to do a procedure like, say, photofacial, you need to make sure that your state doesn't have laws that say you have to have direct supervision by a medical director. Because if you do, you're going to have to figure that out before you buy the equipment. Let's move on. Ready to buy? Not, Not yet. yet. <laughs> okay. Here's one of the biggest points that Chris talks about and, and, and when she does consulting, and I, I encourage this as well. When you're getting ready to purchase equipment, you have a lot of choices. You could buy $300,000 tattoo lasers. You could buy uh, $4,000 micro, microneedling pens. Consider starting small, favoring relatively inexpensive machines that are, that are easy to use and have a great ROI. Yes. So, you know, microneedling, for example, you sell skin stylus, but just generically, why is microneedling probably a decent way to start out if you're only opening a med spa is offering that service? Because one is highly in demand right now. Okay. To, Real it, Self says what, 86%? Thumbs eight, up. Thumbs up, something like that? Yeah. Um, it's also jumped from, um, I think it was AAD put out there, um, plastic surgery, like the top procedures have jumped from 11 position up to eight in one year. It can be used on all skin types. It's not thermal, so it can be used with heat or thermal devices. It can be used all year round, and it treats lots of different conditions. Okay. And the, the cost per procedure is relatively low, and the profit is relatively high. Yeah, I don't work for any particular microneedling device and don't have any interest, so I can talk about what it can do. So we can do things like fine lines and wrinkles, scar revision, acne scar revision, um, melasma, dyschromias, things like that. 
um, age management, sort of a prophylactic treatment. Um, in my opinion, here's what it doesn't do well. Stretch marks and any kind of skin tightening. You need heat to do skin tightening. And stretch marks are just tough to, to, to manage no matter what modality you're using. And pore reduction. But a, a pore reduction, that's another thing. Uh, that doesn't work well. But what's nice about microneedling is, okay, let's use an example of skin stylus. You, you sell skin stylus. Um, that's a micro device that's around what around four thousand dollars for a two pen system and you get 20 cartridges if you're getting three hundred dollars per treatment which was isn't out of the range mm -hmm. of normal um, your system's going to get paid off your total investments in about what 14 cartridges and so you still get another six box or six cartridges to make profit from mm -hmm. so that's a pretty good roi that's a great way to start versus let's say that you just bought a hundred thousand dollar tattoo laser now as we know like a, a, a Pico laser, one that's moving at a billionth, is it? No, a trillion. Trillionth of a section is more like 300,000. Yes. Uh, or let's say it's 200, but let's, so we're, we're just going to say you can buy a $100,000 tattoo laser. So those, those are available, right? Yes. Okay. Um, let's say $85 is an average treatment. Does that sound about right? Yeah, depending on the size of the tattoo. Okay, so just the machine, not the insurance, the warranty, the service, the electricity, or the maintenance are going to take you 11,764 patients just to break even. Now, you can do other things, like you can do a carbon mask, or you can do melasma treatments. So that doesn't mean don't do it. Just make sure it doesn't put you out of business. So that's what you got to keep in mind. What's nice about something like a, a $4,000 skin stylus is that you make a, an, an investment that doesn't usually require financing and you pay it off very quickly and then it becomes profitable very quickly. Yeah, you have a consumable. What are your guys' consumables? Yeah, $34.95. $34. And then how much, you know, maybe a couple bucks in products? Yeah, it's usually about, if you're using a stereo tip, it's usually about $38. So, so let's say it's 40 bucks. They're doing, you're, so they're getting 260 bucks. Yes. Now that doesn't count the rent and all that, but we're not counting that anyway. We're just gonna count what it costs to do the treatment. If you're gonna do a tattoo laser, you have, you have to fire up a tattoo laser, which is gonna cost electricity and everything else, wear and tear on the machine, and you're gonna get 85 bucks. Do they both take about the same amount of time? When you count in numbing? The no, the tattoo laser is faster. It's a little bit faster. So could you theoretically do two? In the time that you could do one micro probably do four. You could do four. Mm -hmm. But have you ever seen the demand so high that you had four stacked up that you could do right in a row? No. No. So that's the problem. It's, it's also the demand for it. What's your other problems with, with uh, tattoos? There's, there's been some, some strange things like people in the waiting room and stuff like that. Not that we're judgy, but this is just what, this is our feedback from clinicians doing this. Uh, some, some docs, especially if it's a high-end doc, doesn't really want people with tattoos sitting in their waiting room, which is kind of silly. I know, it's kind of silly, but... They've it, actually created, like, I went to one spot that they created their own waiting room for them. It's like, are you kidding me? I know, it's a little little out there. But, you know, I guess, you know, it takes Vegas. their own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess, you know, you don't want someone... You, you have the, you know, the lady with the Louboutin bag and everything else next to the... the uh, person with the uh, mohawk and everything else. Maybe those two people don't mix. I don't know. But hey, you know it's Snoop Dogg and Martha. That's right. There you go. That worked out. So again, that, that, this is just what some people are saying and, and something to consider. But the point of this is, is that if you're going to invest a hundred thousand dollars in a machine, you need to make you need to understand it's going to take you a, a, a lot of patience to pay that thing off, and that's not even taking into account the things that go into it. So you're saying you need a lot of patience to yes, deal with patience. Yes, you do need a lot of patience to deal with patience. Microneedling. What's the point? Low risk. Pretty much great results. It's been super profitable for you, right? Yes. <coughs> That's my most profitable procedure I do. So of all the things that you do, re, re, not even talking about the price of the equipment. It's the most profitable. And it, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, not really funny, haha. It's just kind of funny, weird, that my laser to do a pair of underarms at $75 cost me $125. And my device that cost me $4,000, I get $300 of treatment. Wow. The liability is much higher with my laser, much less with my skin stylus. Yeah, like let's say you were doing a photo facial. You'd have to have a medical director here on site. Yes. Whereas in microneedling, you can make the off same site. money. Yes, either under my license or underneath my doc's license with off-site supervision. Got it. Okay. Um, there's research-supported safety and efficacy. So it's been around, around long enough that we know the mechanisms of action, and we know that it's been around long enough to show that there's actually... Uh, efficacy. Um, 
One of the biggest issues with microneedling devices is the cross-contamination, devices leaking. One of the reasons that I got involved with this years back in developing our, a system that didn't leak was because none of the other manufacturers would take that on. That's something they really need to consider. If you're going to buy a microneedling device, you need to make sure, A, it's not adulterated or have an issue with it with the FDA, but more importantly, that it doesn't leak. Now, we've seen devices on like uh, Amazon and things like that. You have like a... Um, Dr. Superpen or something like that uh, versus a professional system like Skin Stylist. What's the difference? Because I could buy a Dr. Superpen for, I don't know, 199 bucks. Why, why, why don't I just buy like 30 of those versus what you got going for four grand? Because you're not, it's not safe. It's got one of the three. It's not safe, it's not very effective, but it is profitable. Okay. So it's missing the first two, which are but the most important But is it that profitable? Because if it's not, if it's not going to work very well, you're not going to get the patients coming back. That's right. So that's an issue. So, you know, if you're going to do this at home on yourself once in a while, I, I guess you could get away with a doctor pen if you're doing something like age management. You get anything above 1.0 millimeter trying to do things like acne scarring, you need a professional device. But most importantly, cross-contamination. In the event that there was a cross-contamination occurrence that were to happen, wouldn't the sales person be the person that would get their license revoked and get sued? They don't have a license. No, you would. So the salesperson does not care. Even if the thing leaks or not, they're not going to bring it up. And if they say, oh, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it does because it's your license. You're the person that's at risk, you and your patient. And I don't believe that device is FDA registered because they're not in the country. So if you think you're going after that, that company, they don't yeah, they're not reside in the United States. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, that's, you know, there's a lot of good things to say about microneedling. If they have questions about microneedling, they can call you up and talk to you about skin stylus, yeah? Yes. You're not going to try to sell them skin stylus, are you? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but you can at least tell them about how it works, right? Well, I mean, like you said, I, I don't consider myself a salesperson. I consider myself an educator. Excellent. Cool. Okay. Uh, of other profitable procedures that they should consider. Um, dermaplaning. You're a fan of dermaplaning. Love it. Okay. I need to look at this. You can pull my cheek out right now. I've, I've, I've got to do this tomorrow. I've got to get rid of my fuzz. Okay. So tell us a little bit about dermaplaning, why they should or shouldn't do it, and do they need to do training to do it? You do need to do training. So the first time I did it, it was on my medical director, like, I don't know, 12 years ago. And, and I thought I could watch a YouTube video. And by the time I finished with her, she looked like she got in a bar fight. I mean, she had cuts everywhere. It was horrendous. Um, and then I realized that, gee whiz, I need a human to actually teach it. And I've got a lot of online classes. This is not one of the classes I do online. Um, <clears throat> but what it, basically, when it started, was epidermal leveling. So you use a surgical blade, whether it's a 10, a 10R, or a 14. So you're um, like a scalpel blade. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you basically shave the face. Um, why don't I just use a razor? <coughs> this was a discussion we had probably about eight years ago. He's like, why do people pay you so much money to shave your face? Um, you shave their face. And I said, because it's not as easy as it looks. So using a razor for a guy, razors are fine because they've got terminal hair on their face. Females have vellus hair, which are very soft and very fine. And a razor usually isn't enough to do a real clean sweep of getting the hair off. Secondarily, when it was first created, it was called epidermal leveling. It was an exfoliation method. So this was before we became obsessed as a hair-free society. Um, so you were using it to do a very gentle exfoliation of the stratum corneum. So every time you do it, you get about two to three of the dead skin cells or two to three dead or two, three weeks. Really, just two, left. three cells? Right? Just two, just wow. two, two, awesome. three weeks, sorry, of the dead skin cells um, in the stratum corneum plus the vellus hair. So what you get out of it is just your, your skin feels like a baby's butt. I mean, it's wonderful. So it's a very gentle way to exfoliate the skin and you also get rid of the vellus hair. So I couldn't do my neck. I do my own face, but I can't do my neck. So I had to teach Dr. Group how to do this. And I put a 14 blade in his hand first and he was totally screwing it up. See, I can, I can do all kinds of surgeries with the scalpel, but I've never really <laughs> mastered the motion that you need to master to actually yeah. turn and he's it sideways. Like, he's like, this is hard. And I said, <laughs> hence why people pay me $100 to do this, because yes, it is, and you can cut somebody. Uh, so he's, got, he's actually become a very good esthetician. <laughs> well, that, that brings me up an excellent point, though. You do have to be have an aesthetics license to do dermaplaning. Is that correct? Well, in, so in Arizona, you could actually be under a medical director if you didn't, but most okay. people are not. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a wonderful procedure. It's a great add-on. 
Like I charge between $50 and $75 if I'm adding it on to a procedure like a photo facial if I'm doing a uh, skin stylist. Um, so it's- Why would you do it if you're doing with skin styles? You do it I first? I do it before. I do it before with everything. So skin styles is always last. <clears throat> yes. Okay. Um, photo facial it would be first. Hair reduction would be first. For permaplaning. Yes. It's just a great standalone treatment. I did one of those today too. Uh, if somebody comes in, they had recent sun exposure, so you can't do a procedure, you could probably do a plan. How much do you charge for it? 100. And if you it add costs, it on, what do you charge? Uh, 50 to 75. Okay. So the cost per procedure is a dollar. That versus microdermabrasion. Back in the day when you went to school, microdermabrasion was, was all the range. It. it was like the highest. Doesn't second. this do so much, pretty much the same thing? I, I don't own microderm. Just a straight microderm machine. I don't own one because this does a better job. It gets rid of the vellus hair and it's a lot less expensive. Now, if you wanted to do something that's similar to microdermabrasion, will you consider using like a nano cartridge in your skin stylist? Yes. And how does that work? Um, well, it's a cartridge and the, the needles are like a little triangle and they are 0.3 millimeters. So they're not getting into the dermis. No, they're going into the top of the stratum corneum. And they're going to so basically exfoliate that. So if you're not getting rid of the vellus hairs, but you're ex, you're exfoliating that area, making it smooth. Yeah. So just like dermabrasion, except with a cartridge. Yes. So you wouldn't have to buy a microdermabrasion machine. You could just use either do dermaplaning or having just buy nano cartridges. Yeah. And I mean, what's interesting is the first time I used one of the nano cartridges on my face, I came into work and everybody's like, oh my God, your skin looks amazing. I'm like, really? I was like, I just did this this morning. So it'd be like a red carpet treatment then. So yeah. I, that's what I'm looking at. Is it's like not something that's totally corrective, but if you want to push um, some serums into the very top of the epidermis, it's a good way to get a little bit more absorption. And for those who are new to uh, med spas, uh, what does red carpet treatments mean? What are we talking it's about? It's treatments with no downtime. So you're basically saying they're going to have an event either that day or the, or the next, next day, day, and, and you want to do have really pretty glowing. glowing skin. So something like a, a, a carbon peel, facial, which is done with your guys's Mediag. Yes. Uh, or Dermaplaning, yes, or the nano cartridge, yes. um, or even skin stylus at a very low depth. Yes, but I like you. You'd have to dial it back, so you just did erythema. Got it. Okay. Um, all right. Another thing that, that they can do is chemical peels. Obviously, um, in this state, chemical peels are, are rated by the depth of who can do what and the pH and the pH. So, um, as an esthetician, you can do what. Um, well, what's interesting is you can do quite a bit of peels as an esthetician, but then you have certain peels that you would have to have a DEA license to buy, which is the ones that I use in my place. So I okay. have to go under my doctor's license to okay. to buy the peels and to do the peels. So they're done by depth, right? Well, depth How they classified? PH. Yes. So g give us an example of this for those, you know, we're opening up a med spa. Is there a good, is there a value into bringing chemical peels? Liability, how much you make, how does it work? What sort of training do the people need? I mean, what are your thoughts? Well, it, it, there is value to chemical peels, but for me, chemical peels aren't the first thing I do. Unfortunately, in, in aesthetic school, chemical peels is one of the biggest things you learn. So when they come out, they want to peel, 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 peel. Um, not, that's not necessarily great for everybody. Okay. So, I mean, when you're looking at peeling agents, you're looking at, you know, a pH under 3.0. Um, and then salicylic. Well, you've got salicylic, you've got glycolic, and then you have also have TCA, and then you have a percentage. Okay. Is it a twenty percent TCA? Is it a thirty percent? When you get a higher percentage, those start going towards doctors only. Okay. Um, because we have like phenol peels that only a doctor can administer. Got it. And then you've got peels that we can do, and then you've got super superficial peels. So you've got superficial, you've got medium depth and deep. Are they are they profitable? I mean, how much does a bottle of peel cost versus? It just depends on the manufacturer. It could range anywhere from sixty bucks for the bottle up to. Four hundred dollars for six of them, and then how much do you charge normally for a peel? Well, I don't, I don't do the baby peels. I only do the, what I call big girl peels. So, so like I mid depth only, and deeper. Mid depth peels. And then what do you charge for that? Um, I charge four hundred to four fifty. Okay. How My long cost, does it take you to do that? Twenty minutes. And the risk to it? Well, the risk is going to be you have to pick your patient. Sure. <laughs> um, like. Have I'm you ever not, done a peel and it had it gone horribly awry just with no 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 other reason except for something went wrong with the chemistry? Not me myself, but I've seen them. Okay, so that's possible. Where you have somebody who has an allergic reaction to it, like you have somebody who's allergic to aspirin, you don't ask the question, and you put a salicylic acid on so them. Again, training's everything with this yes. again. So if you buy a peel from a company, they're hopefully going to give you training. Yes. Otherwise, you should be an esthetician anyway. If you're not an esthetician, you shouldn't be doing a peel unless you're a doctor. But I assume you'd have specialized training to do. Well, they that. have. I mean, they have nurses that do peels, but okay. they're working under a doctor. Got it. Okay, so that's something that you could consider. You want to stay within your licensure. Um, how about like this, um, you know, there's a brand called Hydrofacial or Dermal Infusion. Seems like that's a relatively expensive thing, but it seems very popular. Well, Hydrofacial has done a really great job in branding okay. um, and marketing. And it's, it's a. What it's, is it? It's basically. 
it's not microdermabrasion. It's basically they've got a wand that goes on the skin and they're trying to force liquids into the top part. Is there anything the in the liquid like salt or what's in that? No, it's it's just different things. You can have vitamin C, you can have glycolic, you've got all the different kinds of acids that they can put in their enzymes. Um, you put it into the, the filter, it pushes out through the handpiece and you go over the skin with it. So it's a, it's a more of a chemical exfoliation. Okay. Um, so that's, is that more like a red carpet type of a yes. treatment? Okay. It is. Um, is but it regulated by the BOC? No. Or no so it's not regulated at all? It. No, anybody that can do it. Okay. How much does a machine like that cost? About 30 grand. And what do you charge for? What, what the, going rates between 125 and 150. How long does it take to do it? Probably about a half hour, 45 minutes if you're doing extractions. Okay. So you're saying a $30,000 machine is only making 150 bucks. What are the, what does it cost? Like what are the little ampules or bottles of chemical I don't know because I don't own it. Um, but the cost per procedure is probably about 10 or 15 bucks. You do have a dermal infusion. I do have a dermal infusion. I don't have a hydrofacial. Okay. So I'm just, regardless of the brand, what does it cost again? Well, it's going to be different for everybody. You're going to be looking at between, um, the dermal infusion, the costs, uh, the price points a little bit better on the consumables. Okay. So you're usually between like five to $7 per is procedure. Is there a warranty you have to worry about with this machine? Well, of course there's a warranty and everything. Okay. I understand. And have you had any problems with the breaking or anything like that? Yeah, it was a pretty good machine. Okay. Um, um, the one we have is actually, so Silk Peel was what it originally was called, was owned by Envy Medical, and then they rebranded to Dermal Infusion and pumped a lot of money into marketing and got a lot more people doing it. Allergan just bought them. I see. So, so I it's no really going to get pumped up. Yeah, I have now. no idea what the price is going to get. Usually the price goes up. Yeah, every time Allergan buys something, the price goes up. Okay. Um, you know, let's take a break and we come back, we'll get into uh, laser IPL and RF technologies. Evidence-based aesthetics is brought to you by Micro Cartridge Solutions. Having trouble finding cartridges to fit your micro-needling device? Looking to save money on micro cartridges and supply? Check out microcartridge.solutions on the web to find OEM and aftermarket cartridges and suppliers for many popular microsystems. Evidence-Based Aesthetics invites you to join Evidence-Based Aesthetics Facebook group. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Med Spa Madness. You'd have to be crazy to open up a Med Spa. We're going to jump right back in and talk about laser IPL RF technologies. And I'm going to use my KC Kaysen voice. Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Yes, yeah, stop. Uh, let's talk about laser hair reduction. Uh, still number one popular laser procedure according to... Uh, what is it, the plastic surgery gurus that publish uh, every also, year? And also Derm. Yeah. Um, so even though that particular procedure has sort of uh, proliferated to the point where it's not as profitable as it used to be, it's still super popular. So if you're going to open up a med spa and you're going to be working with lasers, you pretty much have to offer that. What are your thoughts on that? Um, so basically laser hair reduction is... Still the most popular treatment. There's more treatments of that done than any other laser procedure. But I consider it kind of a gateway drug into lasers. Or lost leader, the way to yeah. think of it. Mine's more fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so basically what it's going to do is it's going to get people in the door. And there's still a need for um, for hair reduction. I mean, sure. I, I do it every single week in my med spa. So, it, it, but it gives you an opportunity to talk to them about other procedures, whether it's microneedling or um, photofacials or fractional or tattoo removal. It's a really easy introduction. Now, unfortunately, with Groupon and, and all those other companies, the price points have come down tremendously. As far as um, per, 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 per procedure, and there's actually full businesses <clears throat> that do nothing but... Uh, I mean, I don't say nothing, but they, they seem to be focused on no, there just is, hair reduction. There are businesses like out there. like laser away and those uh, ones. Well, they do some other things, but um, Simplicity Lasers, all they do is hair reduction. Okay. But they, and 8x10 at one point was doing, 810 was a reference to the 810 nanometer, yes. which was for hair, hair reduction. reduction. Um, so in, in those places, basically just work on volume. They have a lot of customers coming through, so they make up for the lower price points with a lot of volume. Well, the other thing too is, and just like we just mentioned, is they, they may have even modeled their initial marketing to be hair reduction, but just like you said, when they get them in there, they do other procedures. Yeah, and, and that's true. I mean, I've got uh, most of my clientele that I still work on, I do hair reductions, I may do foot officials, I may do microneedling, I may do PRP, I may do tattoo removal. But the easiest, most um, it, it gentle way of getting somebody in the door is hair reduction because it's been around since the late 90s. 
right now. Earlier in this in this podcast broadcast that we talked about is ways to sort of uh, increase the amount per hour per room. Let's just quickly review that. Someone comes in for a Brazilian. What are some other discussions you're going to have when you're doing that procedure? Well, if I've got somebody on my table naked, which they're doing Brazilian, they're pretty much naked. Right. Um, why aren't I doing their underarms or if they have you know, a couple of hairs on their upper lip or their chin or their lower legs? I'm going to add up the different areas because she's there, I'm there, my laser's there or my IPL device is there. So it just makes sense to pick up other areas, especially if you're already working on a very intimate area. Um, so like yesterday, one of my clients, I did her upper lip and her chin, her underarms around her areolas, actually a Brazilian and her lower legs. So let's jump into that for a minute. So you have them on the table. You normally, when you're doing your pricing structure for say advertising or your list <laughs> of procedures that has a pricing, do you, ch you charge per area, correct? Yes. Now, are there other pricing structures that you've seen out there per time or something like that? Well, here's the thing. It's like pretty much if you're doing uh, upper lip, chin, axilla, which is an underarm, um, Brazilian, the time is pretty much the same for everybody. When you start getting into doing bigger body parts, like on a gentleman, either the back or chest abs or a female's legs or those kind of things, you really need to actually look at the person that you're gonna work on because if it's a larger person, it's going to take more time, more pulses of your laser or your IPL device um, and, and cost you more money. So I used to, on my menu, when I had a menu of services, I had the pricing for all the small body parts, mm -hmm. which is pretty much the same. Which and, was, just give me an idea. Um, well, it's, so Brazilian, I'm only charging 125. Now this is for Arizona. I know the East Coast and the West Coast are more expensive. Right. Uh, but I charge 125. How, back long, in, how long does that take you to do? Start to finish. Start to finish. I, I book it oh, out for a half hour. Not on a new hour. patient. I book it out for a half, half hour. hour. Okay. Um, a lot of places are doing it in 15 minutes. I think that's a little short on time. Yeah, get them undressed quickly. You get them back dressed again. Well, you have to also have them sign their paperwork at the beginning. You may have to ice them. You have to do your test spots, and you've right. got to wait a couple of minutes. So there's lots of things that are not just the lasering. The actual lasering part might be 10 minutes, um, but the rest of it is all the the before and the after. Um, that I need to and I don't like running late. So I just book out a little bit more time now I know that you know, we, we we're gonna try to go over generalities But since laser hair reduction is so popular. I'm going to ask you some very specific questions You just said that you do test spots. Do you do that every time? every single time every now, single patient? Just give me some ideas of of the whys and hows of that. Okay, so you've got two different Categories for test spots. You've got skin types one to three and skin types four through six. Okay. Okay. So on a first treatment, okay, somebody's come to you, they've never been to you before. Um, <clears throat> if it's a skin type one through three, you're going to do test spots. You're going to wait five to 10 minutes to see if you see excessive erythema. So if you see the shape red, in the shape of your handpiece is probably one of two things. Either your fluence is Not too high. Not the shape high. of the handpiece, the shape of the spot size, it's, right? Well, yes, the shape. Okay. Yes, the shape well, I'm just of the saying because some people listening to this may have no, have no idea what we're talking okay, so about. So the shape of the spot size, the diameter of it, whether it's a laser beam or an IPL So it be a square in the case of a particular machine. Yes, or okay. a circle or a rectangle. Got it. Um, so if you see that it's red five minutes later, there's probably... Either they've had some sun exposure that they didn't disclose or you're using too much fluids. Now, when you say five minutes, is that your timing for waiting? For skin types one to three. Okay, so one to three. Let's go over this quickly. You're going to bring them in. You're going to ask them about their sun exposure and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, changes in medical history, changes in medications because there are sort of photosensitizing medications out there. Um, then you're going to say, no, no, no. So just say that happens. Then you're going to do a test spot. Say we're doing Brazilian. Where do you do the test spot at? In the area of the Brazilian. And there's two. There's actually three areas in the Brazilian you might need a test spot, and it's going to depend on the patient. Um, one is like the top of the pubis area, so the top of the pubic area. Okay. Um, and then you have the labia, and some women's labia is darker okay. than others. And if it is, then that also needs an additional test spot because the skin is darker. So, so you need to change your settings. You need to change your settings. You might be decreasing on your fluence and increasing on your pulse duration. And then for a Brazilian, it's also the perianal area, so you have to look at that area too. Okay. So this is one of the things I want to bring up. You can go to one of these big national type schools where there's 40 students and you get to shoot your eight, your eight test spot, your eight uh, procedures or 10. 10 procedures and you're out. Or you can go to someone like you with smaller class sizes and you're going to have discussions about all of the finer things, which in reality are the important things, like just what we're talking about, how to do all these test spots, where to do them, the timing of them. Um, those, these are the things that, that go from making you successful in the practice because you're not having adverse events. Yes. 
Um, the skin types four through six, you do your test spots, and this is a first treatment. You do your test spots, and then you send them home for 48 to 72 hours, and then you have them come back. You don't do the treatment in the same day. So this is a, an existing patient? Yes. Every time they go No, home? this is the first time. Okay, so, so, so first yes. time. So let's say now you, you've done that. You've sent them home, they come back. Uh, what, what are you looking for when they come back? I'm looking for either blisters okay. or hyperpigmentation. Let's say you see nothing. Then I know that, that okay, has it seen nothing where I don't see any reduction? Any in the reduction hair? at all. Okay, so in three days you're not going to see a reduction of the hair. It takes about seven to ten days for those hairs to purge out of the follicle. So that's my question. And again, we're, we're, we're going to get into detail because this is such a popular and procedure that pretty much if you're going to want to lead, you're probably going to be doing this. How did you know if you used enough energy if, if you're not going to see that for seven to ten days? You wouldn't know at three days. What I have done with people, um, and I talk about this example, I had a, a client come in one time. And she had written down on her health history under ethnic background, Irish and Bohemian. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what Bohemian is. Like Bohemian Rhapsody? <laughs> exactly. There's no, I don't know what country named Bohemia. Um, and what it was is she was gypsy. But what does that mean? It, it's darker skin people tend to be, they can be from Turkey, they can be from Greece. So you're looking well, at the, more of a Mediterranean. The, see, that's what's hard with this thing is, is that the, the notion of gypsy is, is that, you know, I think I played a gypsy when I was like seven years old in, in a school play. <laughs> um, the gypsies is, was actually is a sort of a derogatory term used for a group of people. But if we look at it historically, what we're trying to say, what, what they're trying to communicate to us is, is that they're a darker skin type. Yes. Is that what we're saying? Yes. Okay. So <clears throat> when you looked at her face though she looked irish i mean she was very white very kind of pink almost already complexion and so i was doing um harris on her chin and then also brazilian on okay. her and so i had her undress i left the room i had her undress and then when i come back in and one of the things conversations that we had before she had had a photo facial before me and she had it on her face and her neck and she said that they burned uh, like a circle at the very base of her neck which okay. was kind of interesting because i'm like well she was what's wrong with the base of her neck and she said it looked like somebody strangled her so when i got her undressed and i looked at her torso and i looked at her face and said you don't match and she goes what do you mean you don't match i said your skin on your face is skin type two the skin on your hoo-ha which is what i call the pubis area <laughs> the pubic area right. genital area uh, i call it a hoo-ha i said that's a skin type five Okay. So now we have a huge variation of skin types. So that, that brings up an interesting point. When someone's, when you're asking them on their form, what skin type are you? And in some cases, it might vary between what region of the body. Yes. And when you go to an area that has a darker skin type, your settings on your laser, your IPL device have to reflect that difference. Which in means skin a reduction type. in energy. A reduction in your fluence and possibly... Um, an increase in your pulse duration. Got it. So what I did is, and she also had a reddish tint to her hair, which makes it very difficult because lasers and IPLs don't see red hair. So, so that's a different type of melanin. Yes. Is that correct? So what I did is I picked an area of the pubic areas right near her labia and we shaved that area and I did test spots on the area. And instead of having her come back at three days for to see if there was any problem, I had her come back actually in 10 days. That makes sense. So at that point, those hairs, if they had been affected, would start to shed. Now here's a question for you on this. Could you, let's say we're in that exact same scenario. Could you use one energy setting on one test spot and a slightly different energy setting yes. on the next one yeah. just to get a sense of, hey, what's efficacy, what's too much? Yes. Okay. And I do that all the time. And then you obviously are going to record. Exactly yes, you want to chart why. it because otherwise you don't know when they came back. Okay. So what I did is when a hair has been affected by hair reduction and you go to pull on it, there's no tension. So like it if I try to right pull out. on my hair, you can feel it. It just slides right out of the hair follicle. Okay. So what I did was take a couple of tweezers and I took a couple of hairs. I figured out that it worked. She also didn't have an adverse This is the, the hair that had grown back. This is the hair that was shedding. But you so, shaved it. That's my... That's no, it. I shaved it at the treatment. Then I let her That's what I'm saying. So home. it's grown back. Yes. And then... Okay, I got it now. So when I pulled on the hairs, they just pulled right out of the follicle. So I knew that it was going to work. One thing I want to bring, point out that, that, that a lot of uh, people don't get, especially patients and people just starting out with this. When you do your first, say, treatment of these, let's say an entire area you're treating, it doesn't, all of the hairs are in the, in the antigen no. phase. So let's talk about that briefly, because I, I think that's a misnomer and a very big miscommunication about efficacy. So hairs on your body have three different cycles in their, their life. They're in their growth cycle. 
It's antigen, catagen, telogen. Antigen is what is actively growing, and there is a root bulb. Okay. That's the actually the highest concentration of melanin in that hair follicle, which is attracting the light. Right. That is the only stage of the hair growth cycle that actually hair reduction will work on. Because we're going to transmit that light. Basically, we're going to, that that dark melanin inside that hair bulb is going to act like absorb the light absorption and it's going to transmit that heat to the stem cell stem cell right next to it yes got it so and we have to kill the stem cell yes it's not really killing the hair follicle we're using that as sort of an antenna to transmit the same heat to destroy the stem cell which is next to it which doesn't isn't colored correct okay so you're using the heat that's generated in the melanin from the light to kill the stem cells in the follicle that will tell the body to either produce a hair or not produce a hair. You need to destroy it so it doesn't produce a hair. If you damage it, you'll get a lighter, finer hair out of it. Right. So to, to review, it's the melanin that, that we're, we're going after as the chromophore or the thing that the light, this particular wavelength of light or Likes. is going to absorb better into. Mm -hmm. yes. But we're not actually trying to burn the hair, so to speak. We're trying to use that to transmit that heat to damage the stem cell, which we otherwise couldn't get to without damaging the skin yes. above it. We are burning the hair itself True. though. But, but, but that's not the actual way no. that's making the hair go away. No. It's just a side effect of it. Got it. Um, and that's when you smell that burning hair, I call it the smell of success because you know you've got your right fluence and your right pulse duration. I just to make sure that there's no redness. Um, so with skin types four, five, and sixes though, if I'm just doing that skin type on the first treatment, you do your test spots, you send them home, you have them come back a couple of days later. And basically you're looking to see if there's any adverse event, if there's any hyperpigmentation or any blisters, because it's easier to manage a very small area of blisters than a large area of blisters. Okay, so let's say we the, the patient comes back in the two to three days and we do see blisters. Do we do another set of test spots no. at a lower fluence somewhere uh, not else? Yet. Um, I wouldn't do anything yet. I'd get those blisters healed first. Okay. Um, and then you have to wonder, is this somebody, first of all, did you use the right wavelength of light? Because if you have a laser that is like a 755 Alexandrite and your patient is a skin type six, you should have known that you're going to blister them before. Right, you we should have used it. the 1064. And this Correct. goes back to this pur purchasing of equipment is that let's say that, let me, let me give you a, a scenario. i like doing hair reduction and I want to do that a lot. Would it make sense for me to have more than one wavelength of laser equipment so I can handle all the different things? Not necessarily. Okay. It depends on who, what your patient demographics are. If you are in all, an area that's all skin types one through three, then buying a 1064 to hit that occasional skin type five or six a year, you're going to be overkill. The problem I'm seeing though, is that the way that, you know, in at least in the United States is, is we're starting to see that in demographics, there, there's not so much isolation of skin types. There's a, there's a lot of, a lot more just different people moving around different places to the point now where it's difficult to say that everybody coming to me is a skin type two or three, or everybody coming to me is skin type six. I know there's some regions of the country that are like that, but as we get into more, like say, uh, you know, suburban and urban areas around bigger cities, we tend to see a lot more overlap of skin types. Well, yes, if you're going to be, I always tell people, it's like if you've got equally sixes as you have twos or threes, then you're going to need two different wavelengths. And those would be obviously the 1064. 1064. And then, well, some people are making a dual wavelength platform it used to just be a 755 which is an alexandrite right. and a 1064 now a lot of times they'll have an 810 diode with a 1064. okay so again i i want to stay with this laser hair reduction for a little while because there's a, just because it's so popular and, and pretty much as you say the gateway let's let's talk about this you mentioned someone comes into you um it's a male and they want to do their back okay. Rather than put a price on your list, you do it as a consult, and then you pretty much have to get a sense. I'll use a, a person. I'll, I'll rename him. I'll call him uh, Lenny. Um, it was a really big guy who wanted to do his back. Um, <laughs> that took a long period. That took what several hours to get that. It done? didn't take me several hours. I didn't make any money of that. Um, but yes, the first time he came in to visit me, I didn't realize how tall he was. And so I was going to do his upper thighs and I think his lower back. And I only had an hour booked out and this dude was huge. Um, so it took me a lot longer than what I actually thought I was going to be. I think I needed like afterwards, I was just sweaty. I needed to go home and take a shower because it was just a lot of work in an hour. Um, and after that, I knew how tall he was. So I was able to schedule a little bit more time. But the whole reason 
Um, we want to know the size of the person on a bigger body area, such as a torso or legs, is because one, you need to know how much time to book, but two, you also need to price it accordingly. So what I would do is for those areas, I would have my lowest minimum dollar amount, let's say $250 or $200, and put a plus sign after it. Okay. And that plus sign indicated that it could go higher. Based on time based or on area? Time is, well, the time is the area. I understand so, that, but how do you explain it to the patient? This well, if they come in, let's see, if I want to work on your lower back, that's okay. going to take me a lot less time than a full back. Right. And also, you're not a, a bigger person, so it's going to take. So let's me say maybe it's me. I come in. You, you've just met me. My hair, my back. Let's just say I'm dark haired mm -hmm. and I have I've hair on my back, and I want you to do the whole back. Mm -hmm. how, how would what would how would you talk to me about this first time? Well, it's going to also depend then on my machine. Am I using a machine where I'm stamping through the area? Am That's I a good point. Am I using a machine in motion? So let's talk about that. So there, that technology, I believe, is the diode technology, right? Usually a diode, For, uh, a lot of diodes And you're talking about this sliding... Yes, it's, it's, it's more of, um, it's in, we call it in motion. Okay. It's, you've got the handpiece and then you pick an area, maybe it's this big as two of my hands, and you move the handpiece. It's basically creating bulk heating So it's the firing area. the whole time. Yes, and it's you're firing moving it around. Like 10 hertz. So I believe that you, you uh, in your um, MediCreations line, you have a machine called MediDiode that yes. has that sliding yes. technology. Now, my understanding, too, there's also a function of spot size when it comes to the stamping part. What I mean by that, there are machines out there that have, say, a one-inch spot versus a two-inch spot. Now, that makes a difference for stamping, right? What's yes. the advantages of well, that? Well, it's usually centimeters, not inches. Oh, I'm sorry, centimeters, um, yeah. So and if you're in a little area, I mean, you can't really in motion over an upper lip. Right. An axilla, you know, it may take a couple of seconds longer. For me, I like to have complete control over my laser beam, which means in a small area, I'm going to stamp through the area. Okay. In a larger area, I'm going to use it in motion. So with this particular type of machine, let's say the 810 that has the, the uh, say one centimeter versus two centimeter. When it comes to the sliding technology, that doesn't really matter as much because you, a, a one centimeter moving around and a two centimeter is not gonna ma matter so much because you're moving it around anyway. Yes. Is there a 1064 platform that can slide or is this mostly the diode that we're talking about that you've seen this sliding I, technology? I haven't seen anything other than a diode. Than a diode. And you, you have that machine called MediDiode, yes. right? Yes. And that allows you to do both stamping and sliding. Yes. And the advantage of the sliding one more time is speed for a bigger area. And it's less painful. Less because, painful. Because you're moving it faster, so you're not concentrating that heat in one area. You're spreading it over a larger area. Okay. So if you were going to do uh, a lot of well, – let me go back. The 810 diode is appropriate for what skin types? One through four. Okay. I'm very cautious on a five. They are FDA cleared for um, skin type six if – they're used in motion. I don't feel comfortable in using that because it's still too attractive to... Okay, you have to turn melanin. your settings so down that you, you probably don't get efficacy, right? Yeah, so I mean, if I'm working on a true six or sometimes we have what we call a six plus, which is a really super, super dark, dark where you can't see the difference in the hair and the skin, okay. um, I would only feel comfortable with a 1064. Let's, for the time being, not that there's not a appropriate time to do that, let's just talk about the ones through fours for a moment and we're going to use this sliding technology. Do you charge differently because you have the ability to do this sliding no. technology? So it's the I same, it, the area. but it just allows you to go faster. Yes. How about efficacy stamping versus the sliding technology? Um, you know, it's really going to depend on the area. If I've got an area that the hairs are finer, lighter, I think that stamping works a little bit better okay. um, for efficacy. If the hair is dark, um, though, and it's coarser, I, the sliding technology is, is fine. Now, you've talked to me about this before. Let's talk about this on, on our podcast. When you are first doing a person for the first time, there's more target, right? As long as they haven't been to somebody else. Okay, let's say they've never been to somebody yes. else. So let's talk about um, uh, a six treatment over time, how it would start out, and then how that would change over time. Well, you've got, I mean, depending on the body area you're working on is going to depend on the growth cycle. So you go from antigen to catagen to telogen. Um, so what we've been doing for probably the past 15 years is if it's um, like the bikini area on a female mm -hmm. or a face on a male or a female, um, axilla, which is the underarms, um, all those treatments are usually done in a series of minimum to start with the six treatments. 
Um, okay. We'll talk about that in a minute with skin types. Okay, go ahead. Um, and we'll do those treatments four to six weeks apart okay. for a minimum of six treatments. Real quickly, why four to six weeks apart? Because what you're trying to do is hit it in the antigen. So you want the next, the next areas of hairs in the same region that aren't an antigen to get to antigen. Yes. Because they're not all an antigen at the same time. Correct. Got it. When I first started, we were doing it at eight weeks apart, and the efficacy was not great. And it was also taking a year to right. get through a Brazilian. And I started playing with some different times um, of treatments on the people that I worked with, and I found that four to six is actually a better time frame for those areas. Is there now, research to support that now over time? Um, there's been a lot of research. I can't name as but I mean, we, we, but I, I think you know, I, I've looked at it and, and we've talked about it. There is now research to support a, a shorter yes. period, like that four to six weeks is now being for supported that, for that body part. For that now, body part, yes. right? When we talk about females' legs, it's going to be six to eight weeks. And right. When we talk about a guy's chest, abs, or back, it's about eight to ten weeks. Right, because it's a slower growth. Yes. Um, go ahead. Keep going. So the um, first time they come in, they're going to have a lot of target. They, they obviously have to shave. That's something that's some, for every reason not talked about. Well, it's funny because they if somebody's been waxed before, okay. in order to get waxed, you have to have hair growth. Right. Because nothing to pull up. Pull. Exactly. <laughs> but if you're lasering, you want the hair shaved down either the day of the treatment or the day before because you don't want that light. You want the light going to the root bulb of the hair follicle. You don't want it being wasted on the hair on top of the skin. And also if the hair is long on top of the skin, it singes it onto the skin right. and then it gets stuck on there. Let me ask you this, because this, this is probably a question that a new user would have. Because you've never seen the patient, um, do you want them to shave before they get there, but yes. then you wouldn't see what it looked like? Yes, you can. Okay, go ahead. You're, you're going to see the hairs in the follicles. Okay, the so only... you, would, you would tell them in your new patient paperwork or, or the call that you would make or something on your website would say, Please shave before you come in. And why? Because it takes time and... and... I charge a shave fee. Okay, so good. if I have to take an hour to shave some dude's back because I couldn't get anybody to shave them, I'm going to charge them for my time. So okay. I'm going to try to charge them probably 100 bucks. Okay. It encourages them to get it shaved. I mean, I don't care if they have to tape a razor to a ruler <laughs> or a back, like back scratcher and go down there, but it takes, I mean, I've taken the first place I worked for, my doc used to tell, oh, don't worry, Chris will shave you. It took an hour. Yeah, the and you're also is, doing a dry shave. Right. And it has more irritation and the razors we use in the spa are not the good Yeah, they're ones. like the, the single blade bit type oh, of yeah, ones. Yeah, because, because they're cheap. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to take a, a razor blade that cost me 10 bucks and use it and throw it away after one use. Right. So we use super cheap razors. It's not, and I mean, I'm not gonna shave some females hoo-ha, I'm not doing it, it's weird. Um, You've done it before. I but... have, and I've cried in the corner afterwards. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it was bad, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, especially since she told me that she had shaved and the hair was like this long, I'm like, what century? Um, yeah, right. <laughs> she was older. Um, so well, close to my, my age, so I should shut up. Um, but no, they need to shave ahead of time because one. And you put that in your paperwork or website or whatever I, the yeah, contact I call is. Yeah, I talk to them and I because I, if I haven't seen the person, I like to call them myself, especially if I'm doing a more intimate area and introduce myself because it makes them a little bit more at ease when they come in. Um, when somebody has a tremendous amount of target, though, they've never had a treatment done. You don't need to use as much fluence. So you adjust your settings for more target. The less target they have, the more fluence you need. The more target they have, the less fluence they need. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation on laser hair reduction because it is the number one popular laser procedure. If you're going to get into lasers, you're most likely going to be doing this. So what I'm trying to do is just sort of uh, get as much information from you on, on this for, for both new users and people who have not, uh, people who are already doing this and want to sort of see what next phase equipment to buy. Thanks for listening to the Evidence-Based Aesthetics Podcast with your hosts, Kristen and Dr. Larry Group. For more discussion and information on all things aesthetic, be sure to join our Facebook group and follow us on our Instagram page. We look forward to sharing the next exciting episode of the Evidence-Based Aesthetics Podcast.